today's show has so many great topics that you are going to love it. I could have divided the show into three podcasts, but I'm sure we'll have this guest back again. Have you been dreaming of going on a quilt travel destination? And do you want to keep up to date on the latest quilt trends in the industry, like what's going on with color? And have you been wondering what it means to be an activist in quilting? Well, today's conversation will touch on all of these topics and so much more. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where we explore the stories of quilt teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday creative people just like you to share their tips, adventures, and day-to-day life that'll bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share with you this week's episode. So here we go. This week's guest is the owner and founder of eQuilter.com, Luana Rubin. She has been a designer in the quilt, textile, and garment industries since 1980. She's a Bernina ambassador, a chairholder in the Color Marketing Group, and International Color Forecasting Association. She is a textile design consultant and has designed for Robert Kaufman, Timeless Treasures, and other quilt fabric companies for well over two decades in the quilting industry. eQuilter has their own exclusive line of digital printed fabrics, and Luana is one of the industry experts on digital textile design. She has her finger on the pulse of the quilting world from quilt travel and quilt activism to the latest trends, and we're going to dive right into her story. Luana Rubin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's so great to be here with you. It's so nice to have you here. I always love to get to know my guests a little bit right from the start. So where in the world do you live and who do you surround yourself with every day? Well, I live in Boulder, Colorado. You've probably heard about us in the news recently because we had a terrible fire. But besides that, Boulder is a wonderful place to live. I've lived here more than two thirds of my life and I work about a mile away from my home. I live next to the Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory and I walk or drive to work and I'm here with my husband who's my partner and about 30 employees. And we have a 23,000 square foot building and we occupy about 14,000 square feet and it's full of color and fabric. Anybody who walks in here just has a big smile on their face. Wow, I can't wait to explore your story. So were you surrounded by creativity as a child growing up or or did that come later in life? I would say so, you know, and I, I think the most important thing is nobody ever told me that I could not make a living in the arts. So I pursued all different kinds of art, including music. I was a music major first, and then I went to design school and got my fashion design degree and pursued fine arts and was a painter for many years. So I've just been kind of following my my artsy little star here for for my whole life. Thank God nobody ever tried to hold me back. (laughs) That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about your early quilting journey. What were your first stitches? Well, actually, the very beginning of that story is after I had left the garment industry in New York and I moved back to Colorado And I was looking for something that would help me to work with fabric and color and art and sewing and design. And one day I was at the grocery store and I saw all of these quilting magazines. And I thought, oh, what what is this? What's this about? And I picked up Quilter's newsletter and I started paging through it and the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I just thought, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. And it was. And that was the beginning of a whole new, completely unexpected life for me and career path. So, you know, I've been sewing all of my life. Both of my grandmothers were garment sewers and embroiderers and painters. You know, we have a lot of sewing and art in our family. My mom is more of a musician. So mostly it came from my grandmothers. But So all those things that I learned in the garment industry, they transferred very nicely into the quilt industry. When I first discovered quilting, I took several classes from local quilt shops and I found that really I knew how to do everything. It was just learning the terms and the techniques and and being able to talk to other quilters in the same language. Yeah. 
And how did that conversation go with your husband? Was it like, honey, I just have to get this. What's the story of eQuilter? Oh, gosh. Well, he knew that I was really interested in quilting. And I had been going around to all these different quilt stores, not just in Colorado, but all over the country. And I would say I'd been to about 40 stores and I could never find what I was looking for. So this was in the early to mid 90s and everything was brown, <laughs> you know, or reproduction or little ditzy prints or something like that. But it, it seemed like every store had about one or two things that I really liked. And eventually I realized that those fabrics were out there, but the quilt shops were not carrying them. But I thought if I want them, there's got to be other people who are interested in large scale prints, bright colors, you know, contemporary and ethnic themes. And so I went to my husband and at the time he was designing websites for other companies. And I said, you know, I have this idea about selling these fabrics that I can't find that I want and putting it on the internet and making it available to people all around the country or all around the world. And he said, oh, that's a good, you know, little practice for me to design a website. So we set it up in the basement of our home. We started our business. And after 60 days, we exceeded our three-year business plan. It was crazy. And the fabric sales reps didn't want to come and see me in my home because they thought I was just a housewife with a hobby. And once I got them to show up, they realized that I had a background in the textile industry and that I knew what I was doing. And it was just getting them to come the first time that was really a challenge. But, you know, that first year we really took off. And by the end of the year, we had rented our first warehouse and we're off and running. Wow. And so why are you known as the Quilt Fairy? (laughs) Well, I was given a nickname by some friends. They actually called me the Evil Quilt Fairy because every time they came to my website, they spent too much money. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I dropped, yeah, I dropped the evil and I kept the quilt fairy. (laughs) So e-quilter doesn't stand for evil quilter. (laughs) No, it does not. (laughs) No, but it's, you know, I like to think that I make people's quilty dreams come true. (laughs) Yeah, well, just pouring through the website is just so wonderful to see everything you have to offer. So I hear that you grew so quickly, but was there a moment when you realized with your husband, okay, I love this, this is working we need to keep going. This is going to be our business. Yes. Well, there was a day when he came to me and he said, you know, your sales have outstripped the sales of the company that I'm running. He says, I think I need to come work with you. And I said, great. I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) So we're equal partners and he's here. I mean, gosh, he's here seven days a week. But then, like I said, we live right down the road So it's kind of like an extension of our living room and we come here and now we're in a building for the last three years that we actually designed and built. So when we come here, it's just like coming to our other home or an extension of our home. We just feel completely like, okay, this is my other place that I go. (laughs) So tell us about eQuilter. Like what, what's your elevator pitch? Tell us about the business. Hmm. Well, as you probably picked up, I have a very particular demographic in mind and that demographic is people who are creative, who are not afraid to be creative, because a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, show me a quilt pattern, I want to do exactly that pattern with exactly those fabrics. I would say that's not quite so much our customer, we provide not just fabrics, but also things like fusibles and special threads and magazines that are really geared towards the art quilter, the contemporary quilter, and of course now the modern quilter. We usually have over 700 different solids. So that's something that we didn't start out with, but over time that became an area that I was really interested in. We've been a sponsor from the very first QuiltCon. I was a speaker at the very first QuiltCon. So it's interesting how things expand. I'll tell you a fun little story about when we first got started. I had a few hundred bolts of fabric in the basement and most of our sales were online. But then a few of my friends who were art quilters would come over and they would go through. And of course, this was like all kinds of color and Asian fabrics and batiks and large scale prints. 
and they would just go crazy and order all kinds of stuff they'd never seen anything like it. Now this was 1999. And I had one friend who came over and she looked through everything, you know, she was very thorough. She looked at every single thing. And then when she finished, she said, okay, bye. And I said, really? You didn't find anything you liked? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm more of an earth tone and neutral person. <laughs> so that was one of my first big lessons. And, and of course, many more lessons after that of categories of fabrics that I needed to add. So I had a great success with, you know, with those kinds of colors and fabrics that were just not available in the quilt shops. But very quickly, I realized we had an opportunity to grow. So throughout our years, we've had anywhere from 15 to 22,000 products in stock. I think right now, because of the pandemic, we're at about 16,000 something. But we have over 1,000 new products every month. Wow. Which is kind of mind blowing. So, you know, we have a whole staff who will photograph or scan and describe and price and all, all that stuff, get all of those products online. So anywhere from 250 to 300 new products every week. Wow. So that's why we have a weekly newsletter, because we want to make sure that everybody sees what we have and they don't miss their favorite thing when it comes out. And so we know you, you and your husband run this business together and you have grown and grown over the years. So can you tell us about your team? Oh, yeah. Well, in the beginning, we had three or four people who came and worked in our basement, which was eventually we had to move out because our neighbors were not too pleased with all of our employees on our UPS trucks coming and going. But now we have, you know, folks who live in the area, they drive in, they ride their bicycles sometimes through snow and sleet and everything else. And we have uh, mostly women who are working here. We have a, a few guys, but you know, that's always interesting how you divvy up the restrooms, right? When you have mostly women <laughs> in a warehouse. So we have about one third of the employees work in office positions and two thirds work in order fulfillment in the warehouse. So that's shipping and cutting and pulling orders and inventory. Well, that's great. So before we go to a break, I want to talk a little bit about your personal quilting. First of all, what kind of personal studio space do you work in at home? Or do you work at the, at the warehouse? Do you have a space at the warehouse? <laughs> I do. I have a thousand square foot studio here at the warehouse. I did have a 2000 square foot classroom slash studio, but during the pandemic, we couldn't have classes, so I gave up half of it to one of our tenants who was begging for more space. But I still have a thousand square foot, which is still a pretty nice size room. And I have all of my Bernina sewing machines in there. And, and yes, I'm a Bernina ambassador and have been for, gosh, I think since 2002 or 2004, quite a long time. And so I have all my machines in there. I have a Q20 and a 790, and I just, I adore my Berninas. And, and of course, I have my personal fabric stash, which is mostly leftovers from our warehouse. So I don't necessarily go out and say, oh, I like this. I'm going to cut off a yard on the bolt. People imagine that that's what I would do because when they come to the warehouse, it's, it's so overwhelming. But actually, <laughs> I'm kind of the dumpster diver. I go through the leftover bins and I, I pick out the things that I like. I love the multicolor digital prints, but I really love hand eyes and batiks. That's what I like to work with the most. Ah, and you are an incredible photographer. So how has your photography inspired the quilts that you've designed over the years? Mm. Well, I can talk in particular about one. And actually behind me is a, a photo of a bear that inspired my bear photo that's been traveling in the endangered species exhibit. So one of my four trips up to Churchill, every time I go, I take my telephoto lens and I get a lot of great photos. And this one bear was just such a character and he kind of looked up and looked at us. He would just look like a big dog, you know, he looked right at us and you know, when you have a, an interaction with a wild animal and it's very uh, personal connection that you have, I had that kind of connection with him and it inspired this quilt. And so I've continued to do that as an activist artist to take photos. For instance, I was up in Katmai in Alaska photographing the brown bears a few months ago. And I like to take those images and translate them into quilts. 
So I have done several portrait quilts of humans and animals. I've done some landscapes, but my background is I have a classical fine arts training as well. So I'm really interested in approaching portraits from that point of view. I know a lot of people take classes in value and, and color theory and things like that, but those are things that I got under my belt pretty early on. So I do try to pass those on when I'm teaching or speaking. Yeah, and you mentioned your Churchill polar bear trip, and you're going to be doing that again. So tell us about that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What is it about Churchill? It's just magical. You know, when you go up there and you know that you're surrounded by bears and you're in this tiny little town with people who just live like this all the time, it kind of blows my mind. I have a friend up there who's the director of the research center. She's been up there for many years and she's a quilter. So when I go up there, I actually have a quilt friend who I can get together with. And, and she tells me polar bear secrets and I bring her quilting supplies. <laughs> but I am going to be leading one more trip. This will be the fifth time that I've been up there. So I don't know if I go up again in the future, it'll probably be by myself. But I'm hosting a whole bus full of quilters. And we actually have a lot of interesting people going on this trip. I know we also have a sheep farmer who grows her own wool and you know dyes and harvests and sells her own wool and who knows she'll probably be up there knitting or crocheting in the evenings so we're trying to attract a lot of fiber folks to come on this trip and that's the best kind I've one of the trips I hosted the rest of them I've just gone as an individual but the one that I hosted was the most fun because you can tell fat quarter jokes and everybody gets the punchline <laughs> yeah that's right so where can we go on your website to find out about this trip and, and all the other travels you're doing? Oh, yeah. Well, the best thing to do is just to subscribe to the newsletter, which is really easy once you get to the website. And then there are links to all the social media, the photos, the videos, the trip and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. And if they want to find out about the Churchill polar bear trip that you've already done and read about it, they can go to equilter.com slash news slash travel. Okay, now I love to ask all of my creative guests on the podcast this one question. What brings you joy? Time. You know, being a business owner and being an artist, those two things are always at odds. My husband, you know, being my partner, he knows that and he tries to help me make time, but then reality intervenes <laughs> and a lot of times I'm the only person in the company who can ask a question because of my deep background in the textile and garment industry. So yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, it would be a dream to be able to just go in my studio all the time, but that's not the way it goes. So a lot of times in order to create that time, I have to travel and I haven't been able to travel for the last two years. So far I've traveled to 49 countries. Wow. And I lived in Hong Kong and traveled all over Asia in my 20s. And then I moved to New York to work on 7th Avenue as an import designer. So there's a lot of travel. You know, my lifestyle has been very disrupted by the pandemic and it's difficult. And I, I think we all are exhausted and stressed by the last two years. But I've had so many people write to me and say, thank you for the things that you've written in the newsletter. It's helped me to get through the pandemic from week to week. Every Wednesday, I write kind of an essay about creativity that comes out on Wednesday mornings. And a lot of times I just write about how I'm feeling and how I'm dealing with it. Yeah. And because I, I know that people need that. You know, we, we need that connection. That's actually much of the reason that we quilt, right? Because of the connection that we have with other like-minded people. Yeah. Time is such a great answer. I love that. So now we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Luana's teaching, her lectures, her incredible quilt destination travel, and a whole bunch more. So don't go away. Did you know the Quilter on Fire podcast has up to 2,000 unique listeners per week? And not only that, each advertisement is up for the life of the podcast. If you have a shop or a business with products or services for quilters and you advertise, you need to advertise right here. Go to quilteronfire.com, click on the drop down, listen and learn to find the podcast page. You can learn more, sign up to advertise and pick your date right there. 
you can now connect with the Quilter on Fire in more ways than ever. Head on over to quilteronfire.com to find the Q Creative membership, which is a live monthly fiber art project. And coming soon, I'll be opening up Q School, which will be a series of on-demand courses available to you 24 hours a day. And we are back. And Luana, you impart your wisdom all over the world in your lectures and bringing teachers in, doing all kinds of wonderful things. So tell us about the variety of lectures that you offer. Well, there are three different topics that I've covered in lectures in the past. I suppose there are more that I could dream of, but these three seem to cover just about everything. And the one that I give the most is a PowerPoint lecture called International Quilt Trends. I do kind of a survey of quilts and trends, techniques and colors that we see in the quilting world at several different shows over the last year. So of course, during the pandemic, not traveling, and a lot of these shows have been canceled, I've been having to do screen captures or people post their photos on Facebook and I capture them there. And I end up putting all these images and trends that I see sort of an overview into that trend report. And I try to include it from as many different countries as possible because often we've seen a lot of the quilts from our own country, but Maybe we haven't seen what they're doing in Europe or in Australia or in Japan. So I have traveled, gosh, you know, it, it's so hard to talk about this because I miss it so much, but I traveled to the Tokyo Quilt Festival for 12 years and now that show is permanently canceled. I've traveled to the Birmingham show, again, for over 10 years, probably 12 years, and we're a sponsor at that show. So I go and I teach through my lectures that I give. But I've also gone to Australia and New Zealand, Mexico, and of course, Canada. And I just want to share the enthusiasm that I have and the beauty that I see. So I take my camera. And even though I go and I show quilts from the previous year, I'm also taking photos of the quilts. And I'm going to fold that into my presentation the next time I give it. And those are such great topics. So you talk about international quilt trends. You have another lecture just on color trends, right? And then you actually mentioned that you were thinking of doing one on your creative life. Well, I'll tell you about both of them. So the color trend is about looking at color trends that are going on in parallel industries like home deck and fashion and how those are expressing themselves in the quilting industry. But sometimes it's interesting just to look only at fashion and home deck and to let people draw their own conclusions and their own creative expression in terms of color. People often will ask, you know, how do you predict a color? How, how can you go to the color marketing conference and how do you arrive at these predictions of what colors will be happening two years from now? I have a friend who calls us the color mafia, <laughs> but actually, you know, we're not just making it up. If Even if we didn't predict it, those colors would still happen because we're looking at a logical sequence of trends and where they're leading to. So that's one talk that I give and, and people find that very interesting because it's something that's very common in the fashion industry, but not so much in our industry. And being part of the color marketing group, you know, I meet people who are designing the inside of airplanes, who are developing and choosing the special metallic finishes for cars that will come out five years from now. The paint people, you know, five different paint companies come to these conferences. So it's interesting, you know, it's like another tribe that I belong to, the color tribe, and we all speak that language and we all have the same passion for color. And then the third lecture that I've given a few times the first time I gave it was, oh gosh, maybe eight years ago when Sakwa had their international conference in Denver, and they asked me to come and talk about my creative life. And most recently, I gave that same lecture for the Boulder Handweavers Guild. And it's a talk about just my whole life, you know, including images of drawings that I drew when I was a child and going to fashion school at FIDM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles, and then getting a job in Hong Kong and, you know, traveling all over Asia and then moving to New York and living the life of a fashion designer in New York, and then eventually discovering quilting. And when I was 49 years old, and, and I will 
tell you I'm 63 now. When I was 49 years old, I got a Lifetime Achievement Award during Quilt Festival. Wow. So a, a lot of wonderful things have come to me through the quilt industry, and it's definitely my home. It's definitely where I belong, but I sure didn't know it when I started out. I had no idea this is where I was going to land. Oh, we have to talk about that a little bit more. So tell us a bit more about the Lifetime Achievement Award. How did you find out that you're going to be getting that award? (laughs) Well, it was supposed to be a surprise. I had been at Quilt Market and I had been on the floor rushing around. You know, when I go to Quilt Market, I have like 10 appointments in a row from morning to evening. And I was supposed to go straight to the Bernina fashion show. And I had a garment in that show. So I was just going to go straight to the show. And a a little bird told me that I might want to go freshen up before (laughs) before the show. And it turned out, yeah, they they announced the winner. They said, you know, the winner of this award is bloody, bloody, blah. And finally, I'm listening to it. I'm saying, oh, my God, it's me. And I think part of the reason that they gave the award to me was because of the money that we had raised for charity, even at that point. And I have to tell you that 2% of sales, and it's, well, it's been a little less than $100,000 a year that we donate. So over 23 years, we're going to hit 1.9 million in the next few months. And it's just, it's like a miracle, you know? And we have seven charities that we give to. We allow the customers to choose which of those charities They want their 2% to go to. And we've tried to pick really a variety of charities. So whether they want to give environmental or human rights or breast cancer, there's something hopefully for everybody. And then there's a eighth option is put that money where you think it's most needed. So whenever there's like a big emergency. So for instance, when there's a fire or a hurricane or a flood, you know, we may donate an extra amount that month for that. And it adds up. And as well, about 15% of that amount goes to the arts. And a lot of it goes to sponsoring nonprofit exhibits and projects within our field. So a lot of times we like to pick out an exhibit that otherwise might not be seen. And the money that we donate through a a nonprofit will, for instance, an African-American voting rights exhibit at the last Houston Quilt Festival. That's something that we sponsored. And if we hadn't sponsored it, I don't know if it would have been shown. So those are the kind of things that we like to do with that money. And I have a little little bit of wiggle room every month to make a, a decision about where some of the extra funds will go. Oh, that is so great. And I can totally understand why that would be so deserving of a Lifetime Achievement Award. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about your personal creative process. Let's talk a bit about your textile design. Mm. Well, I have not done as much designing lately because of the time issue that I mentioned recently. In fact, I've been saying If there's one thing that I could do, it would be to have enough time to get back into textile design. So mostly I've been making quilts. So for instance, I'm making a quilt right now for an exhibit on women's voting rights that will open up at the Clinton Presidential Library. I don't know if you've heard whisperings about this exhibit. It was an invitational exhibit and there are some other very well-known artists in this exhibit. I'm, I'm really honored to be included with them. And I I also have quite an interest in uh, the United Nations and, you know, there's a lot of overlap between the work that we do with nonprofits and organizations like the UN. And I also have an involvement with the Carter Center. So a lot of these organizations are doing similar work. One of my quilts hangs at the Peace Tech Lab, which is part of the U.S. Peace Institute in Washington, D.C. So... In terms of textile design, like if I was going to design something next, I think the next thing I'm going to design is something that's missing in the industry. (laughs) So I guess an interesting way to put this is I look at about 150,000 designs per year, and I purchase about 14,000 of them for eQuilter. And so I'm very hyper aware that there are certain things that are missing in the industry at any time, and it changes from year to year. 
I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, because if I have time to design something, I'm going to design one of those things that I think is missing in the industry. But unfortunately, what happens is a lot of new or young designers, a lot of them kind of do the same thing. You know, they're not very aware of what's happening in the industry. They may design something that is a trend that has already peaked or is about to peak, as opposed to looking ahead of that and saying, okay, what's the next thing that's going to happen? And a good example of that is owls. Mm -hmm. So owls have been a trend in our industry for years now. And I would say they've peaked, but we still see people doing artwork of kind of a cartoonish flat style. And that's not really what's selling now. And, and so sadly, we end up turning down a lot of that because the market is saturated with that. But there are other things that are up and coming. Like recently over the past year, gnomes have been a big trend in our industry, right? And, and sort of to go along with that, like little red and white dotted toadstools to go with the gnomes and what I would call pop woodland. And I think there's starting to be a little overlap with Scandinavian influenced pop woodland. So I'm always looking at like, what's the next thing and how can that be folded into or layered over a trend that's happening right now to make it fresh and unique? Okay, so you have such a big heart for charity. We've talked about it a little bit, but what does it mean to you to be a curator activist or an artist activist? Well, I will say that I've been kind of a mama grizzly bear myself. I've had things come up with my children, including my daughter being poisoned in her school by fracking chemicals. And that was what really catapulted me into becoming more of an activist. And because I was willing to stand up and speak out, I was invited into some inner circles of activists that a normal mom or a normal citizen wouldn't be part of. And when I was invited into those groups, I learned more about what's happening in terms of toxic pollution and climate change and, you know, the degradation of the wilderness areas and so on. So, and they all overlap, you know, all these issues overlap. So, you know, the more you learn, the more you care. I don't know. That's how I feel. Maybe not everybody is the same. I think a lot of, there are still a lot of people who are just so overwhelmed by it that they say, no, I'm going to turn off the news. There's nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. But for some reason I get mad enough and I'm willing to go to a school board meeting or to EPA hearings. And I've been quoted on NPR radio, for instance. So I'm willing to speak out and say things that maybe other people haven't thought about, or they're afraid to speak out. And it's kind of a snowball effect. Once you're willing to stand up and speak out against something, then more people want to talk to you and more people want to hear what you have to say. So then I discovered that, you know, really art is an incredible vehicle for expressing those ideas in a way that people are willing to accept and hear and see. Because you can say visually without words often a very powerful message a message that will bring tears and bring conversation and, and bring deep thought on a topic that is difficult to talk about. Yeah. So from there, can you start off by telling us about the Love Your Mother project? Mm-hmm. So the Love Your Mother was a challenge. I designed a 44-inch square digital printed panel. And if you go to my album page on Flickr, you'll be able to go to that album and see the fabric design. It's basically a picture of the earth surrounded by a rainbow mandala. And we ended up making three versions of it. One has North and South America, another one has Australia and New Zealand, and another one has the continent of Africa. And the challenge was to invite artists from all over the world to buy one of those panels and to cut it up or embellish or whatever and make it into a quilt. And then we juried a number of quilts into the exhibit. The first prize was a Bernina sewing machine. So thank you, Bernina, for, for supporting the project. And then it traveled, it opened up in Houston, it traveled to Mexico City, and it was going to go to Birmingham, but the pandemic happened. So anyway, there are a lot of things that have happened. 
not everything has happened the way it was supposed to. I've been invited to curate some exhibits at some really prestigious venues that didn't happen because of the Trump years. Anything that was environmentally related was canceled and so on. But I'm hoping that those opportunities will return in the near future. So tell us about the endangered species and the bear quilt. Mm, yes. So this is an exhibit that was organized by Donna DeSoto, and she has organized many other exhibits. She also did the National Parks and the Beatles and the Elvis exhibit. So, you, you know, a lot of us have seen those exhibits in Houston and also traveling. And these are exhibits where they give you the size and you create a quilt, you choose a topic and you create a quilt that will fit into that size. I think it was 24 inches square. And mine was based on that photo that I mentioned of the polar bear. But it's not just a portrait of the polar bear. Behind the polar bear above his head is an eclipse. So remember the big eclipse that we had several years ago? I made that quilt right after the eclipse. The name of it is Polar Bear Eclipsed. But down at the bottom of the quilt, in the grass, and, and this is part of what makes a good quilt, I think, is you see something from a distance, but you come up close and you see a whole nother layer of visual information. There are skulls in the grass underneath and all around the bear. And as you get closer, you see that there are words that are stitched into it and they are the names of the toxins that they found in the bear's tissue that's doing genetic damage and it'll probably kill them off before climate change. So having friends who are Arctic researchers and polar bear researchers and learning about what's happening to them has informed me. So I try to take information that I get from my scientists and activist friends and then put it into a quilt. Yeah, and also on your Instagram page, we see an actual painted bear for Winterfest. So tell us about that. Oh, yes. So th this was a really fun thing that I did for our Chautauqua Park here in Boulder, which is, by the way, where we got married. I noticed uh, last year they had a project where artists were invited to paint bears and put them out in a public art exhibit. So it came up again this year and I thought, oh, that's really a lot of fun. I want to do that. I didn't realize there were 200 artists who were applying. So I felt very honored to be one of the 15 who were chosen. And there's actually another local quilter, Barbara Beasley. I don't know if you're familiar with Barbara, but she's a very famous artist and teacher for her animal portraits. So she and I both were part of those 15 artists. We got a 54 inch fiberglass bear. And in her case, she actually collaged fabric onto her bear, but I painted a map of the world. And I've always wanted to do a project where I drew freehand a map of the world. I felt like it would be the ultimate uh, learning experience in terms of learning about the geography of the world. So this was it. So I put a map of the world, both hemispheres on a bear. And it's kind of hard to explain, but you'll have to go look at the image of it on my album. And it's called, If Mama Bears Ruled the Earth. And that's really how I feel about it, that we are in such a crisis right now that we've got to be that fierce mama bear and stop messing around and just make decisions and take action to save the planet before it's too late. Yeah, well, it's gorgeous. And you can find that at Luana's Instagram page. So that's at L-U-A-N-A-R-U-B-I-N. So you can easily find it there. And Luana, tell us a little bit about some of the work you've done for Indigenous people and children. One of the groups that we give to is called Mission of Love. And they do a lot of work with Indigenous children and Indigenous families. So for instance, they do a lot of work. It's actually Kathy Price is the, the founder and the director of this organization. They do a lot of work in Pine Ridge, which is the poorest county in the United States. It's a Lakota reservation. And also the Mayan people in Guatemala and Mexico. And I actually went down with Kathy and a team of surgeons for a week of cleft lip and cleft palate surgeries. And I was a photographer in the operating room. But we also went out to the villages. And this is where the women are weaving by hand these incredible ECOT textiles. We do carry them here at Equilter, by the way. We actually went out to these villages and they're living in a one room 
hut basically with the dirt floor and no running water and no electricity and no access to healthcare, anything like that. And it's in an area where there was actually a Mayan genocide, I think in the eighties. And so many children who are born with deformities like cleft lip and cleft palate. And often it's because they've had toxic exposure, like there's a, a coal mine upstream and the, the toxic heavy metals or whatever are in their only source of a water supply. So when I say that I've learned a lot from these people, that's a good example. The other group that I work with is Engineers Without Borders. We work with the NASA chapter. In other words, yes, astronauts and rocket scientists who work out of the Johnson Space Center. And every year when I go to the Quill Festival, I take a day to go and visit them and learn about what their latest projects are. So for instance, their latest project is rescuing street children in Maui, Kenya, and bringing these children who come from very poor families, like the families can't afford to feed the kids. So when they have too many kids, they just start pushing them out onto the street and the kids start sniffing glue to deal with their hunger pangs and their brains are fried by the time they're 20. So they're rescuing these children and they're bringing them to a home and a school. And then the other chapter that we work with is the CU Boulder chapter and they're working in Nepal. And they're working in a very remote area up in the mountains where again, it's not an area where they have, you know, they can't just turn on the tap or turn on the electricity. They're up on a mountaintop where there's no road, you can't drive up there. And this is in an area that was devastated by the earthquake. And so we actually, the, the college students in this chapter hand backpacked, donated quilts up to these villages and handed out the quilts to mothers with young infants. And you'll see photos of that on my Flickr page as well. Oh, these are such inspiring stories. So you love to sponsor different prizes at different quilt shows around the world. So tell us about that. Well, we've been a sponsor in Houston for many, many years. Currently, we're a sponsor for the $5,000 Master Award. But also, we sponsor special exhibits. So, for instance, there is one called A Better World, which has been traveling since Houston. It's now at the Visions Museum in San Diego. So, we like to support very positive messages or messages about hope or injustice or anything in between that deserves to be seen. And I like to think that we help to start conversations. So for instance, uh, lately with the 100 year anniversary of the 19th Amendment for women getting the right to vote, we sponsored an exhibit about women's voting rights that traveled for several years. And, but we also have sponsored exhibits and prizes in Canada, in Mexico, in New Zealand, in Birmingham. And so just wherever I can sprinkle that quilt fairy dust yeah. and hopefully encourage quilters to keep on creating. Yeah, that's so great. Now I want to talk a bit about your newsletter because it has over 120,000 subscribers. Did I get those zeros right? Yeah, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It amazes even me. So tell us what kind of things will we find in your newsletter? Sure. We send out four newsletters a week. The first one that we did for the first 10 years was just the Saturday night new product newsletter. And that's where we feature those 250 to 300 new products. And then we added the Wednesday morning creative nudge. I call it my midweek creative nudge. And that's where I have a photo or a collage of images and I write a little essay about creativity or lately sometimes it's about the pandemic or whatever. And, and then we also have two free pattern newsletters. So that's where there's maybe a, a panel that we built a free pattern out of it. And a lot of times people see those beautiful panels and they say, wow, that's really great, but what, do, what can you do with it? So we decided that we needed to answer that challenge and show people what they could do with it. So it is editable. So if you look at, let's say, you know, you look at the polar bear uh, quilt panel and it's all in shades of blue and gray and white. And you say, hey, I wanna jazz it up. I wanna put that polar bear with purple and hot pink or who knows what. 
glittery turquoise, you can actually change the fabrics that go in the, the border or the rest of the quilt. So people have a lot of fun coming and playing with the, the free pattern. And we also have, you know, my husband designs all these things. He's like the great Oz behind the curtain. He's back there designing the website, but also I, I always say that he's like the architect and I'm the interior designer. Mm -hmm. So he designs the bones of the website and he makes sure that it runs really fast and it's secure and all of those important things. And then I go in and create the categories and where the products are gonna go. Oh, okay, so when people wanna sign up for your newsletter, they can simply go to eQuilter.com. It's really easy to find there. And if they missed a newsletter, they can always take a look at your blog. So tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Well, every newsletter is posted on our blog. So people are discovering us all the time. Even with 120,000 subscribers, there are still people who haven't heard of our business. So if they come to us and they say, wow, this is great, but you know, I, now I wanna see what you've been doing recently. They can go to the blog and go back as far as they want. They can go back years if they're interested or they can look at topics and look at everything we've ever posted on a topic. Okay, and now you have been featured in videos and on TV over and over again. Can you give us some memorable moments? Well, I am really a fan of William Morris. Whenever I go to the Birmingham show, I always try to visit a village or a house or a museum that has something related to William Morris. And so I was invited to come and speak about that several years ago when Free Spirit started, they took over the, the William Morris license and they asked me to come and speak as an expert on William Morris. So that was actually quite a thrill. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And you've also been on Quilting Arts TV. Right. I've been on Quilting Arts TV and Fresh Quilting, which are both PBS shows. And what kind of things did you do on Quilting Arts TV? That's the main show that I've been on several times. And actually, my daughter, we haven't talked about that, but my daughter, Sophie, who was adopted from China, sometimes I think she's more famous than me. She was on Quilting Arts TV starting from when she was seven years old. She was sewing on camera with Pokey Bolden, and now she's 19 years old and, and a sophomore in college. But I've gone on, and a lot of times I talk about my travels and quilt trends. So for instance, if I've come back from Tokyo, I will show images of quilts that I thought were really important that are leading trends. Or maybe I will, I, I also collect textiles. So if I've purchased some really wonderful vintage uh, Boro quilts or Sashiko samples or Shibori samples or scarves or something like that, I would come on and talk about that. So basically anything having to do with color and textiles and quilt design. Yeah, it's such a great topic. Okay, so now it's time for the lightning round robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and um, it's just super fun. So are you ready? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, what is your favorite quilting notion? <sighs> I love that, that little thread holder that allows you to take a big cone of thread, put it next to your machine and have it feed into your machine and not get all knotted up. Mm -hmm. And really, if you ask me this question next week, it would be a different answer. Yeah. But that's my favorite thing for this week <laughs> because I've been working on a large quilt and that cone holder has kept me out of trouble this week. Oh, and that actually leads me right into my next question. What mm. is on your design wall right now? Mm. Well, I'm working on uh, finishing this quilt for the Clinton Presidential Library. The opening for this show has been delayed several times. So I was supposed to be shipping it off a week or two ago. And just as I was about to finish up the quilt, I fell on the ice and sprained my ankle and was freaking out about how I was going to finish this quilt. And then later that day, I got the message that it had been delayed yet again. <laughs> so saved by the pandemic, I guess. But that is, there's one other quilt I've made that's very large and complicated, but this is the second large, very complicated quilt that I've done for an invitational show. So when it's finally out there, I will definitely be sharing it on my social media. I'll be very proud and happy to be sharing it. And it's an image of Hillary Clinton giving a speech at the Women's Conference of the United Nations and making a very famous quote, women's rights are human rights, which at the time was a revelation. 
we take it for granted now, but at the time I was like, wow, what a concept. Women's rights are human rights. Oh, it's so important. Okay. And what do you listen to while you're quilting? Mm, it's either Cuban salsa or opera music. So I'm a big opera fanatic. I mean, I'm a classical musician, but in the last 10 years, I've really become even more of an opera fanatic. I have a friend who's singing at the Met in New York right now, actually. And uh, sometimes I travel to hear him perform, but also I've traveled to Cuba three times and I just have a great love for Cuban music. So that's the answer. <laughs> okay. Is there anything quilters would not know about you? Hmm. Well, I think really my background as a fashion designer is something that I don't get a chance to talk about a lot, but it was a big part of my life. I had an international, pretty glamorous career starting in my 20s. You know, I would fly from New York to Asia, you know, to Hong Kong or Japan or wherever, flying first class on Pan Am. I got invited out on yachts on the weekend when I lived in Hong Kong and uh, just had a, a pretty exciting, you know, something you might see in a movie or a soap opera. <laughs> And actually, during that period of time, I was very briefly a swimsuit model in the Regent Hotel brochure in Hong Kong. <laughs> that sounds like such a nice way to start your life with all these great travel adventures. That was really an exciting time. And of course, that was before I got married and had kids. Yeah. And that's why I left, because it's kind of hard to have a relationship, let alone a family, when you're traveling four to six months out of the year. Okay, and last question is, do you have any furry friends in the studio? Ooh, well, I have five furry friends at home. I'm a little afraid to bring them to the studio, but <laughs> so I used to have my studio at home. We have three rescue cats and two golden retrievers. The golden retrievers, they come to work with me sometimes just in the studio. We don't have any animals in the warehouse because we don't want to take a chance of any cat or dog hair getting into the fabric. But yeah, my dogs are really super excited when they get to come and just basically hang out with me in the studio. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's nice to be surrounded with those furry friends at home. It is. Thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was super fun. Oh, yeah. So we have mentioned the website, eQuilter.com, where we can see everything you have to offer, including your popular newsletter and your blog. But where's the best place for people to connect with you on social media? Well, I'm very active on Facebook. I hit that 5,000 friend limit quite a while ago. But if you send me, if you say, hey, I'm a quilter and I want to be your friend, send me a message. I will find a way to add you to that 5,000. I'm, I'm usually hovering right around 4,998. So, you know, if you're a quilter and you want to be my friend, I will get you in on the list. <laughs> so that is Luana Rubin on Facebook? Yes, right. And I do have several different Facebook groups. Okay. So I'll just mention I do have a color and design group. And of course, you know, you just follow me. You don't have to be my friend for that page. But I also have something that the cat lovers may like. That's Luana's Fabriholic Kitty Club. And this is for people whose friends have blocked them because they post too many cat memes and cat videos. This is a place where you can come and post all the photos and memes and videos and whatever, and nobody will get mad at you. In fact, they'll probably like you and give you lots of positive feedback. So I think we're getting close to 700 members now. I don't really advertise it, but a lot of people who are members, they say, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I just go to the Fabriholic Kitty Club and it always makes me feel better. So if you're a cat lover, I will invite you to come join us there. <laughs> Okay, so now it's time to share this week's podcast giveaway. So Luana is giving away a $50 gift certificate to eQuilter.com. So one lucky winner will get to do some online shopping. That is so generous, Luana. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, now we cannot wrap up this conversation without talking about quilting trends a little bit. So through all of your travels, do you find that there are really different trends in different countries? Oh, for sure. And that's the best thing about going to shows in other countries. And I especially love going to the Birmingham show because it's the biggest show in all of Europe. And so you have quilters from Italy and Spain, from Norway and Sweden, from Russia, 
uh, and of course from the UK and Ireland and Scotland, and they're all different. And the best part about them is they all, not all of them, but many of them include elements from their culture. And I just love that so much. I mean, I love when the Irish quilters have a, a Celtic element and, you know, the Russian quilters have some of that incredible embroidery or stitching tradition that they've included. And, and when you can see the colors of the culture, I mean, the colors from Spain are different than the colors from Sweden, right? And so I just love seeing that local color and local culture being expressed and of course, every quilter from that country will say it in a different way. So it's just mind-boggling inspiration to me to see all the different ways that we can express our own culture. Yeah. And I wouldn't exactly say you have a crystal ball, but what do you see coming up for trends in 2022? Well, a couple of the trends that I've been tracking recently, I just had a Zoom call with a bunch of magazine editors, and we were talking about this in, in my trend presentation to them. I have my eye on really super intricate paper piece quilts. So for instance, Violet Craft is somebody who has made these beautiful, incredibly intricate quilts, and she has inspired a whole wave of quilt designers. And the amount of creativity and energy in that is just amazing. So that's something that I've got my eye on. And the other thing is how many people are taking up embroidery, like cruel embroidery, not cruel like Cruella DeVille, but cruel as in C-R-E-W-E-L. And actually, because you and I are on Zoom, you can see behind me over here, mm -hmm. this is a cruel embroidery piece that my grandmother made in the early 70s. So I have a family history of that. And I also have some things she did because she was Swedish. Swedish cruel embroidery. So on Facebook, there's a modern embroidery group, for instance, and I love to go and see what they're doing over there because they just come up with the craziest things. You know, we think of embroidery as being like little old ladies with a hoop and a needle, right? And they're making crazy, creative, outrageous, hilarious things. And so what happens when that starts to bleed into quilting? You know, so I'm watching that space. I like when two different movements overlap and you have a whole new genre that develops in the middle. Yeah. Okay. And what's happening with color in 2022? Very rich, juicy nature colors. I mean, basically the colors that we've been missing, you know, but also the colors that nurture us. And two of the, well, I'll say three of the colors that I'm really watching are kind of a honey yellow gold, a yellow green, like a rich sprout green, like something that just sprouted out of the earth and it's brand new and full of life. And then a very a sweet, juicy, purpley pink color that's like plum jam. Can you imagine that? Yeah. And, and I would also say there's a color that I call Mexican pink. When you look at the artwork and the clothing of Frida Kahlo, and when you look at Day of the Dead artwork, for instance, you see that hot, bright pink. So those are the colors that I'm looking at because they're so full of life and they're just so vibrant. And they're colors of nature and growth and joy. Well, it's been so great to hear a little bit about what you think is coming up with trends and what's happening in 2022. Now, as we wrap up today, Luana, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation? Mm, I just feel so incredibly lucky that I get to make a living sharing inspiration and joy with quilters, that we are all part of this great tribe, and that wherever I travel in the world, I meet people who are like family, because we all belong to this tribe, and quilters are just best people. Yeah, it's all about community. Definitely. Okay, thank you so much, Luan. It has been so nice to share your story and get a sneak peek behind your the scenes of your world. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So that was my episode with Luana Rubin. 
a testament to how a passion for quilting can grow into a wonderful business. Luana has been so immersed in the quilting industry for decades that I feel like we've only touched on the surface of all the wonderful things she's been a part of. But the most heartwarming part that I took away from our conversation today is her charitable endeavors. eQuilter donates 2% of sales to charity and they've raised almost $1.9 million for a variety of international nonprofits. So head on over to eQuilter.com to the website to make a purchase today to build your stash while supporting a charitable cause today. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I'd be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. And are you ready for some quilt travel destinations? We were talking about it today. I'm taking a tour to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022. And my Japan trip is in November 2022 to coincide with the quilt show there as well. I'm so excited and I'd love to have you join me. Go to quilteronfire.com events to pour through the itineraries and choose the trip that you love. I can't wait to travel the world with you. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.